Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, moms. God, thank you for our moms. And um, Lord, those of us that have our moms here and those of us that have our moms in, in another state or another country. Um, and Lord, even those of us that have, that have lost our moms. God, I pray that you would uh, bless this message. Uh, Lord, that you would bless our time together, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would fill each of us with your spirit, and you would speak to us individually, that you'd have a little something for, for each of us, not just the moms, but uh, for the children um, as well, God. So again, we ask that you would move in power during this time. Uh, guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, real quick, um, in Matthew chapter 20 last week, if you remember, we discussed this interaction between uh, James and John, uh, really their mother, and this request that their mom brought to Jesus. And I want to reread the request for you in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. It says, then the mother of the Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now we know practically mom is asking that James and John can gain prominent position in the earthly kingdom. She's assuming, like the disciples and others, that Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem. He's going to take over the Roman Empire. He's going to establish his kingdom on earth. And she wants that James and John will be in primary positions in that heavenly, uh, sorry, that earthly uh, king's court, if you will. But also spiritually, ultimately, what she's praying is that her sons, James and John, would be close to Jesus. That we, they would be at his uh, right hand and left hand. That, they, that, that they, they would be in close proximity to Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's really the prayer of any Christian mom. That, that their children would be as close to Jesus as possible. And that's a prayer that the Lord definitely wants to answer that uh, a mom's children would be close to him, that they would be in close relationship to him. See, mom wants what's best for her kids. And every mom, they, they truly do want, want what's best for their children. However, they may spend their whole lives doing what they think is best, trying to provide the best possible life for their children. But the truth of the matter is they can only do so much. OK, mom is mom and there's a lot of power that mom has, but mom isn't all powerful. That's why mom desires that her children would be close to Jesus, because Jesus is all powerful and Jesus he can take care of the needs that mom can't. See, we're going to look at a story today in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, there is a story 
of this widow who loses her son. Now, this story really hits home for me personally. Uh, when I first read this story, it just impacted me on a deep level. Uh, I was literally brought to tears because uh, I think the Lord was revealing to me the dynamic between me and my relationship with my mom and how God, Jesus, in fact, intervened in that relationship, met us where we were at, restored my life, and ultimately mended that relationship. And that, in other words, is what's going to happen here in Luke chapter 7. See, some of you today have the opportunity to celebrate with your mothers. And maybe your mom uh, is here on the mountain. Maybe they live in Running Springs or around here. Or maybe you're going to go down the mountain and and see them, or they're going to come up, but you have the opportunity, the privilege to be in close proximity with them to celebrate this special day with them. Now, others, you have to resort to FaceTime or a phone call, and you have to reach out to them through some form of technology because they're not there. That would be like me. I have to reach out to my mom uh, on the other side of the country, and I'm going to call her as soon as we're done with this message here. Um, and then sadly, but truly, there's others that, that don't have the opportunity to celebrate this, this day with their mom. They, they lost their mom. Their mom is no longer here. See, in this text, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is going to address both the tragedy of death and the gift of life. He's specifically going to show up for this mom and give her the greatest gift he could possibly give her in the restoration of her son. Which brings me to the title of this teaching, A Gift for Mom. A gift for mom. Jesus is going to gift this mom with the life of her son. If you would with me, follow along as I read. I'll read the whole story and then we'll break it down. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. It says, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and this, all the surrounding region. So we see Jesus has this encounter with this widow who just lost her son, and he grants this widow the greatest possible gift he could grant her by what? bringing her son literally from death to life. Now let's look at this in detail. Break it down verse by verse, if you would with me. Back to Luke chapter 7, verse 11. It says, now it, ha happened after, now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, 
And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. It says the day after. The day after what? Well, earlier in Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus was in Capernaum and he healed the centurion's servant. Okay, this is the very next day, and now he's doing another miracle. He's engaging in ministry. See, Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He shows us the way in his way. Ministry, it wasn't just an event, it was a lifestyle. It was something that he practiced on a daily basis. He purposed to follow the Father's will, not just one day a week, but every single day. That was his heart, that was his goal, that's how he operated. And he calls us to do the same, that day after day after day, we would purpose to walk in the will of our Heavenly Father. That's exactly what the Lord's doing here. And it says where He's doing it. Now it happened the day after that He went into a city called Nain. Okay, Nain in the Greek, it actually means beauty. What we see here in this story is that Jesus is going to take something that's absolutely tragic and turn it into something beautiful. First of five points, point number one, Christ brings beauty out of tragedy. Christ brings beauty out of tragedy. In Isaiah chapter 61, we see the Lord's mission statement, if you will. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue. He opens up the scripture right to this section we're going to read. And he proclaims his mission statement. Then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture that was spoken of by Christ would be fulfilled by Christ. And he says... Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, which we'll see him do in this text. He's going to comfort this mourning widow to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. Literally, the Lord will take tragic circumstances and He'll turn them into something beautiful. That's what He does here in this story. He not only comforts this widow, but He takes her tragedy and turns it into something beautiful. Do you purpose... To see God's beauty through your tragedy. See, sometimes when we face loss, she lost her son. Sometimes when we face death, sometimes when we face trials in general, suffering, whatever you'd like to call it, it's easy for us to get distracted by how we feel and how sorrowful we are. Now, there's a truth in Scripture that rightfully we're supposed to mourn, we're supposed to grieve, we're supposed to allow that pain to happen and work through that pain, but so often we can get so distracted by the pain and the circumstances that we lose sight of the bigger picture and we miss the bigger thing that the Lord's doing. We miss the beautiful thing that the Lord is doing. See, we have to have the proper perspective. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you guys know the verse. It says that God makes all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose, right? We know that God makes all things work together for good, but do we believe that God makes all things work together for good? When you look at something like that, this, how can God make the death of a young man work together for good somehow, some way? How can God use death for good ever? How does that work? How does that happen? That's a hard thing for us to conceive, but we know that that's the truth. The Lord, he's going to use this man's death and bring something beautiful out of it. He's going to use this man's death to impact the multitudes, not just here, but the multitudes all around the region. See, the Lord will, in fact, use death to bring life. He'll use tragic circumstances once again to bring something beautiful out of. I'll tell you a story. Many of you have probably heard me say it before, but I think it's very applicable to this story. When I was, uh, just before I got saved, about a month before I got saved, um, there was a, a man, uh, his name was Steve. It was actually my mom's best friend's husband. In fact, it was the lady that I just did the wedding for when I went back home in Jensen. Okay, it was her former husband. Five years ago, he died of liver cancer. Great man. And I knew he was a good man. But when I went to his funeral, I, I, I found for the first time how great of a man he actually was. See, he was a Vietnam vet. Not only that, he was a, a paramedic. He was a firefighter. And as I sat there in that pew and heard story after story from people sharing, communicating about Steve, how they impacted, how he had impacted their life, it was powerful. It was, it was amazing. I listened to these things and I was like, man, I knew Steve was a good guy, but he made such an impact on so many different people. And I started to tear up. Why? Not just because we had lost Steve, but I started thinking, what would people say if I died right now? What would people say if it was, was my funeral and today was the day that I had passed? You know my story. I was a, I was a drug addict. I was a hideous person. I was all these different things, everything but good. And I thought, if I passed in that moment, what would people come up and say about me? Yeah, he was good when he was a kid, you know? He, he was fun to be around sometimes when he didn't have to look over your shoulder. Like, this is who he used to be, and then somewhere along the line, he kind of went off the, 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 the wrong road, went down the wrong track, and I started to weep because I was like, man, there'd be nothing really good to say about me. And I thought for a moment, I wish that I had a testimony like, like Steve. Like, like people, one day when I died, they'd be able to come up to that pulpit and share story after story about how I, how I helped them, how I did something, how I gave back somehow, some way. And literally that tragedy brought life to, to me. God used that death to bring me life. God used Steve's death to wake me up. 
to make me realize, wait a minute, man, the road that you're walking down isn't the road I have for you. Now, Steve was a believer. He was a Christian man. And I knew in that moment that there was there was something more. And that was one of many things that the Lord used in my life to get my attention so that I might accept the Lord in my life. This is the point. There was probably many friends and family members at that funeral that looked at the death of this great man and thought, why God, how could you do this? How could you let this happen? This death was in vain. You allowed him to die and this was absolutely pointless. But I see a different perspective. I see that God used that death to get my attention. God, once again, he used his death to bring me life. This woman, she doesn't understand why her son has passed away. But if she only knew what was going to take place, she would know she could be confident in that God is going to use her tragedy to bring something beautiful about. And when he does this act and restores this man, multitudes, thousands of people will be impacted from this guy's story. Now, If you remember, I mentioned the day before they were in Capernaum, right? Okay, so in one day they traveled from Capernaum to Nain. That's about 25 miles, okay? That's a pretty long walk. Now, you also have to remember that the disciples have been following Jesus day in and day out. It's like the 25 miles plus all the other miles they've been walking, but just the 25 miles in and of himself, that's a, that's a long distance, wouldn't you say? What's the furthest that you've ever walked? Has anyone walked over 25 miles before? It's rough. It's rough. I remember running one time, I, I, I ran uh, like 32 miles in a 24-hour period, and my knees were shot for months. Like literally, I couldn't run for about two months. It was brutal. It was rough. It was painful. But Jesus, 25 miles, he did it. Why? He did it for this specific purpose. See, he knew he was going to, who he was going to run into. He knew who he would encounter. He knew that this woman had just lost her son and Jesus was determined to bring hope to an absolutely hopeless situation. That's who the Lord is. He's dedicated to meet us in our state of mourning. He's dedicated to meet us in our place of suffering. And he travels these 25 miles just so that he can perform this one act, so he can restore this one life, so this woman might know that God loves her and this son might know that God loves her. He was determined to get there once again and bring hope to this woman. Luke chapter 7 verse 12. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. So we see there's two large crowds. We got a multitude following Jesus, yeah? Got a multitude following Jesus, and now you got this other group, this large crowd that's following this woman, the funeral party, if you will. So we see two different crowds 
basically going two different directions, but they hit a crossover at the gates of Nain. Now, the one crowd following Jesus, they have a hope. They're following Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. They literally are following the life. They have the hope of eternal life that's offered in the person of Jesus Christ. This other group, they're following death. They're literally walking to the cemetery. They don't have the hope of eternal life. They're not following Jesus. All they can think about is how this man died and how they're going to die too. They don't have hope. You have one group, one multitude, one crowd walking to the life and one group walking to the cemetery. And as they cross ways, we're going to see that Jesus is going to bring hope. He's going to bring the hope of eternal life to both groups. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Jesus, he has compassion on this woman because she lost her son. He has compassion on her because he too is brokenhearted over death. Point number two, Jesus is moved by our loss. Jesus is moved by our loss. You would think that because Jesus has the power to grant eternal life, he literally, as we see, he has the power to, to, to raise the dead to life. We would assume that Jesus isn't affected by death, that, that death doesn't really bother him. He has power over hell and death. He has power over the, Why would it affect him? But it does. And we see throughout scripture that the Lord is absolutely impacted by death. See, Jesus, he empathizes with this woman because he too has lost Loved ones. He's lost loved ones to both physical death and spiritual death. If you remember in John chapter 11, Jesus has this encounter with Mary and Martha and he gets news that Lazarus has died. And when he walks up to the grave thinking about death, recognizing that Lazarus is dead, this friend of his, this man that he's grown to love so much, it says what? The shortest verse in scripture, Jesus, he wept, right? He was sorrowful. That hurt him. That broke his heart. Why? Because Lazarus died. Now, wait a minute. He's going to bring Lazarus back to life. Why is he weeping? Because death breaks the Lord's heart. Death, it was never God's intention. It was never God's plan. From the beginning, his hope was that Adam and Eve would live forever. But because they sinned, they brought about death, right? For the wages of sin is death. Because there's sin in the world, the consequences of sin is, is, is death ultimately for everyone. And we inherit that death. That wasn't the Lord's plan. So even when the wicked die, Ezekiel 33 says this, even when the wicked die, the Lord takes no pleasure. The Lord isn't even happy when wicked people die. He doesn't want anyone to die. That's why he gives everyone the opportunity, the hope of eternal life, that they might not die. Though they die physically, they won't die spiritually. See, Jesus, he can empathize with this woman. Because not only has he lost loved ones, but he knows what it's like to lose children. 
Let me show you, if you flip over a couple pages in Luke chapter 13, in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, he says this, O Jerusalem, O O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's lamenting, he's mourning over Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord, he's looking over Jerusalem. He's looking at his people, his chosen people, the people that he delivered from slavery, from bondage in Egypt. And he says, how long I've wanted to gather my children together as a hen gathers her broods or as a hen gathers her chicks that's what i want to do i want to display to them motherly love i want to be there to comfort them but says you're unwilling you don't want my love as much as i love you i can't force you to follow me you got to choose to follow me back see the lord his heart breaks when his children not only experience physical death but when his children experience spiritual death, when they choose not to follow him, when they choose not to receive his love, when they choose not to be a part of that relationship that he desires with him. This crushes the Lord. Maybe, maybe you can relate with this widow. Maybe, maybe you have a child or had a child that, that passed. Maybe that was when they were young. Maybe that was when they were older. But you read this story and your heart goes out to this woman because you too have had experience that you've experienced the loss of a child. And I can't imagine what that feels like. And I don't know why that happens other than the fact that Sin brings forth death. And there's some other explanations in the Bible, but I don't know specifically why maybe that happened to you or why the Lord allowed that to happen to you. But I know one thing. It's not because he doesn't care. He absolutely cares. And his heart is crushed over the death of anyone. So his heart absolutely is crushed when we lose a child. Jesus has compassion on this woman. His heart breaks for her because she experienced the loss of a child and he too knows exactly what that feels like. Now maybe you can't exactly relate to the widow and maybe you haven't had a child that that died physically, but maybe you have a child that's knocking on death's door spiritually. Meaning that they're a prodigal. They're not walking with the Lord. Maybe they never were. Maybe they were at one point and they aren't anymore. You know what I think Jesus would say in those circumstances? Exactly what he says to this woman. Verse 13. Do not weep. Do not weep. I got you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to do everything I can to bring that child back to life. I'm determined to bring them hope. I'm determined to give them abundant life. And he tells this woman, do not weep. Anytime Jesus speaks, 
he's speaking the word of God, right? Because he is God. So when he speaks red letters, it's the word of God. Jesus, he's literally comforting this woman with the word of God. The word of God, it brings us comfort in our sorrow. In fact, there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, it says this. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus not only said that, he did it. Blessed are those who mourn. This woman is mourning because of the loss she's experienced. And Jesus is right there to comfort her. And he comforts her with his word. He's literally going to turn this woman's mourning into rejoicing. But I don't know that she sees that happening right now. Think about it. This woman, she's lost her husband. She's lost her um She's lost her son. Now we have to look at something and consider something real quick. In that culture, if you didn't have a male in the household, you were basically hopeless. It wasn't like it is today. If a woman lost her, her husband and then lost her son, she was, is really hard to get work. It was really hard for a woman to work. If you didn't have a man in the household, that was a, a next to hopeless situation. So this woman, she's in this place of hopelessness. You have to imagine her looking at her loss. Not only did I lose my husband, but now that now I lost my only son. It says it's her only son. So she doesn't have another son that can take care of her. This is her only son. You have to imagine that this woman is thinking of how, how pointless this suffering is. God, why are you allowing this to happen? That happens to all of us when we face suffering. We question God and, and why he's allowing it to happen. God, why would you allow me to experience this pain? Why would you allow me to experience this heartache? It's, it's like you're out to get me. Or even if you're not out to get me, you're just letting this happen and it's absolutely useless. But that's not true. The Lord, he, he'll use it. He'll use our suffering and we see throughout scripture, he uses it in so many different times in so many different ways, sometimes to produce character in us, sometimes to test us, sometimes to reveal his glory. The point is that there is a point in our suffering. And if we think that suffering just happens because it happens and there's no point to it and God's not going to use it then our perspective needs to change. See, Paul, he had the proper perspective about suffering, and he talks about it often. One verse I want to point you to is Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul if anyone has suffered, it was Paul, right? He tells the church in Corinth in that second letter, everything that he walked through. I've been shipwrecked multiple times. I've been beaten. I've been scourged. I've been imprisoned. I've been betrayed. I've been forsaken. I've, I've, I've faced suffering. Paul was a man that was no stranger to suffering. And he says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The suffering that we face now doesn't compare at all to the glory that we're going to experience tomorrow. This woman, 
She doesn't recognize that yet, but Jesus does. And that's why he tells her, do not weep. Why can he tell her that? Because he knows what's going to happen. He, he, he knows what's going to take place. Though her, de- her son is dead in this moment, he knows he's going to bring this son back to life. And that's exactly what he's going to do. As we look at the next verse, Luke chapter 7, verse 14. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. See, Jesus, he walked through, he walked this mother through so much heartache, so much pain, so much brokenness. She was in the pit of despair until what? Until Jesus intervened. Now, Jesus, he could have just not allowed her son to die to begin with. He could have allowed and not allowed her husband to die. He could have made it so that her husband was alive and her son was alive. And we would never be reading this story. But Jesus has a bigger objective. He's not just trying to impact a single individual or even a single family. He's trying to impact the multitudes. And he gets this message across to so many, as we'll discuss in a moment. But the Lord, he brings this woman to the end of our end of herself, to the pit of despair. And then and then he restores her son's life. He literally brings him back to life. This is the greatest gift that Jesus could possibly give this woman. Restoring her only son. Point number three. Jesus offers the greatest gift. Jesus offers the greatest gift. Jesus offers each and every one of us the greatest gift we could ever imagine. The greatest gift possible. That gift, that gift being eternal life. And you'd have to agree with me that every single Christian mom on the face of this earth would desire that their loved ones, that their children specifically would experience this gift. That they would receive this gift. That they would accept this gift. This gift it's absolutely free. And if Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tells us that the gift of God, this gift of salvation, it's because of grace. It's through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's just that it's a free gift. And this gift, this gift is a powerful gift. In fact, it also says in Ephesians chapter 2 that this gift literally brings the dead to life. If you would with me, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The Lord, this gift that he gives, it literally is the power to bring the dead back to life. 
We were all, those of us who have accepted the Lord, we were all once dead in trespasses, in sins, when we walked the way of the world, when we pursued our own desires, but somewhere along the line, the Lord intervened in our lives. He brought us back to life and He gave us the gift of not just eternal life later, but abundant life now. Now, maybe there are some that can hear this message. Maybe you're here in this room right now. Maybe you'll listen on the Internet or grab one of the CDs or maybe you'll give one of your children these CDs and maybe they don't know about this gift or maybe they've heard about this gift, but they haven't experienced this gift, this gift. It's the greatest gift. Not only Jesus could give the individual, but it's also the greatest gift that a mother could ever want for their child. This gift, if we haven't received it, we're missing out. We're missing out on something amazing. In fact, we're missing out on the whole point of this life, the whole purpose of this life. In fact, Jesus, sorry, God says in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, he says this, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. The thoughts I think towards you is to give you a future and give you a hope. This gift is that it gives us a future. A future on this earth and a future to come in heaven with Christ. He gives us a future and a hope. He gives us a purpose. He reveals to us His will. There's so many things attached to this gift. But if we don't receive the gift, we're never going to experience the life that is attached to this gift. We are dead men walking. We're dead men. We might be alive, but we're really dead. We're here, but there's no point because there's no purpose. We haven't unlocked. We haven't discovered what our hope is, what our purpose is, why God created us to begin with, or the sheer fact that we were created or we just evolved and we came from nothing. The point is that when we receive this gift, the greatest gift the Lord has ever granted, the greatest gift he could ever Grant will go from being dead to being alive and really understanding what it means to be alive. Luke chapter 7, verse 15. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he presented him to his mother. So we see Jesus, his words, literally between his words and touching this open coffin, he had the power to bring this young man back to life. And the young man sits up and he has this conversation with his mother. He's able to speak. Jesus presents the dead man, the man who was dead, now is alive. He presents this young man to his mom. This man, he's a different man now. He was a dead man, but now he's a man who is literally alive. He's living, he's breathing, he's talking. See, Jesus, you can't be brought back to life by Jesus and remain the same. If Jesus brings you from death to life, there's no remaining the same. There's some eternal change that happens in a person's life when they receive this gift. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 
Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we receive the gift, we literally, we become a new creation. We're not the same person that we were before. I can testify to this uh, with so many people that I've encountered in my life, including myself. But one of my favorite stories is uh, one of my good friends, uh, one of Pastor Chet Lowe's kids. He has two children that were child soldiers in Liberia and literally Emmanuel, one of them, he was... He, he, his job was to kill people, literally. And I, and I won't even get into how gruesome some of these stories were and how you actually would kill people, but he was a murderer. Since five years old, he killed people for a living. That's what he was trained to do. That's what he thought his purpose in life was until he accepted the Lord. And when he accepted the Lord, he experienced radical change. Now, he was absolutely a work in progress, but if you met him today, you would never think in a million years that he actually killed people. He was a murderer. Now, he's a deacon, he's an elder actually at the church in Fort Lauderdale. He has a Bible study that has 60 plus people that attend it regularly. He's a gifted leader, he's a gifted teacher. He's just filled with the spirit, a joy to be around. You would never imagine this man was dead in his trespasses and sins. And God, he brought him to life. Not only did he bring him to life, he made him a new creation. That's what the Lord does when he brings the dead back to life. He makes them something different than they once were. Now the disciples, think about it. They're there. They're witnessing this thing. They got to see a dead man brought back to life this must have been an amazing experience if you could only imagine watching a dead person be brought back to life like you go to see somebody uh, i forgot the word again like you know when you go to a uh, like a a viewing right a viewing and you see the dead body imagine if one day you went to a viewing and that body just popped up and he's talking to you like, oh my gosh, that'd be pretty crazy, right? That's pretty miraculous, yeah? These disciples, that's what they saw happen. This man rose from his coffin and he began talking. He began having a conversation. But we have to remember that the disciples, the only reason they were able to see this happen is because they were following Jesus. Remember, they walked all the way from Nain, for, sorry, from Capernaum to Nain, which was 25 miles what if the disciples 12 miles down the road decided, hey, my feet are hurting, I'm tired, I'm going to take a little nap on the side of the road, I'll catch up with you guys later. What if they decided to quit along the journey? What if they decided to give up? See, so often in our Christianity, we can run into these places where we feel like, man, the journey is treacherous. I've been walking so long. I've been trying so hard. But it's a rough season. I'm facing suffering. I'm facing difficulty. My feet are hurting. I just want to take a break. Can I just take a day off of Christianity? I'm growing weary here. But think about it. In that moment when we're feeling the most weary could be the very moment that Jesus is going to do the most magnificent miracle. And these disciples, had they had given up walking down that path following the Lord, they would have missed the miracle. 
if you're in that place in your Christian walk and you're growing weary, you're tired, you don't really feel like doing it anymore, I would encourage you to continue on to faithfully endure because the miracle might be just around the corner. It was for the disciples and now they see this man who was dead, brought back to life. Luke chapter 7 Verse 16, then fear came upon all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen up among us and God has visited his people. See, the people, they watched this miracle happen and it says they glorified God. What started as a gathering to pay respect to a man who died ended up a gathering to celebrate the new life that Jesus granted a man. And when lives are restored, when Jesus brings the dead to life, yeah, physically, but I'm talking spiritually, people will glorify God. That's exactly what happened. They all glorified God. You have to imagine what this mom is experiencing in this moment. It's like, man, I was just put in a place of hopelessness. I thought it was done. My livelihood gone. I have no men in my house to take care of me. I lost my son, my only son that I had left. You have to imagine the sorrow, the heartbreak, the mourning that she's walking through in the Lord. He literally, in one moment, takes her from a place of mourning to a place of rejoicing, where she too is glorifying God. Point number four, God's gift turns mourning into rejoicing. God's gift turns mourning into rejoicing. Regardless of the suffering that we face in this world, regardless of the loss, regardless of the heartache, regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the death, when we look at the big picture and we see the the hope of heaven. And we believe in the hope of heaven. Remember, hope is a confident expectation. I know where I'm going because I trust the Lord and what He said and where I'm going. Literally, those times of mourning, they don't compare to the times of rejoicing. And it'll take those times of mourning when we thought we lost something and He turns it into a time of rejoicing when in fact, when we thought we lost something, we actually ended up gaining something. And that's exactly what He does for this woman. This man, this young man, not only is He alive, but now He has the opportunity to follow Jesus. Now He has an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. Now we don't know if He ends up establishing that relationship. There's no way to tell, but there's a truth in Scripture that when we walk in truth, it brings our mothers our fathers, our spiritual leaders, it brings them so much joy. If you would with me real quick, Third John, a book that we don't get into often, and Third John, verse 4, says this, John speaking, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. This is John speaking. 
Imagine if it was your mom speaking. I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth. This young man, now he has the opportunity. He just encountered the truth, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He just encountered him, and now he has the opportunity to walk in truth, to walk with the Lord. See, all the Christian moms out there, this is the desire for each of their children. Not only that they would receive the gift, but that they would choose to walk in truth. That they would live out the gift. That they wouldn't just receive the grace of God and receive the salvation, but they would walk in truth. That they would seek deep relationship with the Lord. That they would pursue Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. What greater gift could we give our moms than doing just that? By seeking the Lord, by pursuing Him, by walking in truth. See, my mom back in Florida, I can't be there with her. As much as she'd want me to spend time with her, I know she would, but I know she would rather me choose to, to walk in truth, to do what God has called me to do. And right now, that's, that's out in California. That's far away from her. But I know her heart, it brings her so much joy to know that her children are walking in truth. Not only is this woman rejoicing, not only are, is this multitude glorifying God. Look what it says at the end of verse 16. God has visited His people. God has visited His people. See, God, He visited His people in this woman's darkest hour. The Lord will meet us right where we're at in the midst of our suffering. Sometimes we feel like the Lord has forsaken us or He's so far away from us, but it's not true. The Lord, He meets us right where we're at in our need, in our difficulty difficulty in our trial he meets us right there the lord god has visited he he has surely visited his people these people they knew god has visited them because they saw the work of god nobody could do what jesus had just done nobody could bring this man back to life but jesus did this was absolutely a work of god there was no doubting it there was no explaining it another way other than the fact that god did a miracle he visited his people in their time of need luke chapter 7 verse 17 and this report about him went throughout all judea and all the surrounding region. Now, I want you to imagine again that you see a dead man raised to life. Like, actually, you see a person that was dead brought back to life. You wouldn't be able to help from telling people, right? Like, I'm telling everybody, right? I'm taking pictures, putting it on Facebook. I'm telling everybody, right? The whole world's going to know that I saw this dude. He was dead, and Jesus brought him back to life. We would tell everybody that, right? But we see Jesus raise people to life all the time. And are we telling people? Are we sharing that? Because Jesus raises people to life spiritually all the time. Do we share that? Do we share the testimonies that we're witnessing amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ? Man, how excited is it when you witness someone get saved or you're a part of it? It's like, I love telling, man, this guy, I got to share the gospel with him and he got saved and they went from death to life and this is what they're doing now and this is what they're involved in. But sometimes we can just watch those things happen and whether it's doubt or fear or whatever the thing is that prevents us from sharing, 
We don't share it. But the point is, God's gift, it's meant to be shared. That's the fifth and final point. God's gift is meant to be shared. God's gift is meant to be shared. It's meant to be spread. It's meant to be communicated. See, maybe you're someone whose mom hasn't experienced this gift. Maybe you're someone who has tried to share the gospel with your mom and she hasn't received it. Well, first off, I would say if you haven't shared the gospel with your mom, share the gospel with your mom, the gift that God's granted you. He desires you to share it. He desires you to spread it to others that God does indeed bring the dead back to life. But maybe you have. And maybe you haven't really gotten anywhere. And maybe you just don't have the answers for her. Maybe your heart's just so hard she doesn't want to hear what you have to say. I would encourage you. Maybe this is a Mother's Day that you try again. Maybe this is is a day that that you decide, no, 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 I want my mom, regardless of the flowers, regardless of the chocolates, regardless of the brunch or whatever else we're going to do to celebrate, regardless of tradition, I want my mom to receive the greatest gift that she could possibly receive, that she would spend eternity with the Lord and also with me. Because ultimately, that's the greatest gift that our moms could ever receive. See, I don't know what you're going to do today. I don't know how you're going to celebrate Mother's Day. Hopefully, you bought your mom a gift at least. Raise your hand if you bought your mom a gift. Man. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You can repent. If you need to confess to me later, that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> regardless of, of what you decide to do, maybe there's something that you guys typically do and maybe it's the lunch thing or you have a certain celebration or there's something special that you do with your mom, regardless of what that might be, I pray that you would consider some of the things that we talked about this morning. And though we can do all these things for our mom, we can get her flowers, but you know what? Flowers are going to die. Okay, We can spend time with her, but you know what? Time is going to end. The gift of God We don't ever die in time. It never ends. This is the greatest gift we could possibly give her. And that gift can be displayed in so many different ways. Maybe maybe it's you receiving that gift for the first time because you never received it. Maybe it's you sharing that gift with her because she's never received that gift. Maybe both you and your mom have received the gift of eternal life. And we know what the scripture said, what John said. I have no greater joy than knowing that my children are walking in truth and maybe it's an opportunity for you today to live out what you believe to celebrate this gift to serve your mom to be there to let her see christ in you the hope of glory that she could have the joy of knowing my children are walking in truth they're not just talking about this they're doing this thing they're living this thing they believe the gospel and it's portrayed by the way they live their life Whatever it is, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, I pray that the greatest gift would somehow be magnified today on Mother's Day. That we wouldn't get too caught up with tradition. Moms deserve to be celebrated. They've done so much. We wouldn't be here without our moms. All of you have been born from a woman, yeah? 
right? Okay. <laughs> so they definitely deserve that celebration. But if we can bring the Lord into that celebration, bring the gift of eternal life into that celebration, then I believe we can have a, a, a Mother's Day that, that will impact our moms and us for a very long time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the fact that you bring the dead to life, that your gift is that powerful. God, I pray that we would uh, just really meditate on these things, that we would chew on it, that we would uh, just be excited and celebrate the life that you've given us. Lord, that it wasn't just our moms that brought us into the world, but it was you that saved us from the world. God, and I pray that we can... um, Spread that gift through uh, the way we live, through the conversations we have. God, that, that everyone would know that you truly do raise the dead to life. You still do it, God. So fill us with your spirit. Go before us today. In Jesus' name, amen.